Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I am Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is Braxton Hunter. And today we are going to talk about theology, apologetics, and science fiction and why theology and apologetics nerds are big sci-fi fans. So it's here's not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. And we're back. Jonathan, I uh, drove all through the night from Nashville, Tennessee, from whence I was on an airplane from Washington, D.C., from whence I was on an airplane from Canada, Toronto, Canada. And one of the nights that I was there, I hung out at somebody's house with a bunch of the young adults, like twenty, early 20-somethings and uh, maybe even some teenagers in there. And we ate a bunch of good Persian food, and we talked about this very subject. Yeah. We got together to talk about theology, and instead we ended up talking about theology and comic books and movies. Yeah. So this is something that tends to happen among philosophically-minded and theologically-interested Christians. Yes. Do so you, do you this have is any your show. This do you have the, any, any explanation for it? Yeah. You? Sure. What's your explanation for it? My explanation is that science fiction involves, in order to make it interesting, a lot of uh, philosophical ideas like different views on time travel, for example, to tie into the last episode, um, and uh, ideas like that you're merely a brain in a vat, like the Matrix, um, or uh, theological slash other metaphysical ideas like uh, in the Force in Star Wars, you know. Yeah. So because those things are so interesting, science fiction plays on those things, and fantasy plays on those things. Yeah. And so you get a lot of uh, Christians who are into that stuff uh, liking it. And, of course, a lot of ideas in, in theology and apologetics and philosophy, they're, they're complex. And I think that... One thing that science fiction does is it serves to give illustrations for some of these uh, complex ideas. And naturally, I think people who are interested in reading books and interested in watching these types of movies and and television programs are the same type of people in the church that are interested in going deeper into theology and apologetics and stuff. Because one of the things, with the exception of uh, Dr. Rodney Tucker, uh, universally I've found... uh, apologetics and theology 
geeks to be huge Star Trek fans. Hmm. Um, even more so than Star Wars fans in some cases. In other cases, they're fans of both. But Star Trek, I think because it deals with philosophical ideas um, throughout the, the more so the sh- television oh, so we're, shows. Okay, and, well, and, so we're right into it. Now. No, I mean, more so uh, in the television shows. Because I have as, things to say about that. Yeah, more so in the television shows and the movies, but it's still, they're philosophically oriented, whereas um, Star Wars, I think, is, you know, being space fantasy more than science fiction. It has more to do with, uh, you know, escapism, I think. Star Wars? Yeah. Well, there's another reason why... Uh, oftentimes Christians and these same sorts of people like uh, fantasy. Yeah. You know, if we wanted to divide, which there's overlap like with Star Wars, if we wanted to divide science fiction and fantasy, uh, fantasy would be like Lord of the Rings or something. You know, sure. There, there's, there's a reason those same kind of people like that, which is on the one hand, we're right, I think, that there is, are these philosophical ideas and theological ideas in the science fiction side of it, um, there's overlap on both sides, but one thing that exists with those things, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and uh, some of Lewis's stuff, is the meta narrative of good and evil and redemption and sacrifice and atonement and all those things are definitely there in the fantasy. Yeah, stuff. and objective good and evil is usually yeah. a, a prominent, and that's included in Star Wars: you know, The Light Side and the Dark Side. And as that. you have pointed out in the past not a commitment to naturalism. That is often there with science fiction. Except for Star Wars, which punted on uh, more of the supernaturalistic worldview of the original trilogy and gave you midi-chlorians. Oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you do, you're a midi-chlorians? Prequel, you're a prequel defender, and so you I have I don't remember to... that part. I have no <laughs> knowledge of midi-chlorians. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, one thing I I'm do like... I'm a midi-chlorianist. Like... People always got upset with Lost, and they got upset with um, Battlestar Galactica for not taking a naturalistic way out. Um, but you know what? Most people are not naturalists. Right. And so for a, a lot of people, were like, good on them. Because typically supernatural explanations uh, go with the horror genre, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know the if, if apologetics and theology people are quite so into horror as they are. Some horror, sure. Like, I remember watching Cabin in the Woods, and Cabin in the Woods brought up some interesting ideas about free will and determinism, if you've ever seen that one. No? Yeah. You need to watch it. Okay. Um, it's, the premise is pretty simple. These teenagers go to a cabin in the woods, but it's being manipulated by these two guys. Now, it is supernatural because they have a whole host of horror creatures at their disposal to send after these kids, and they're trying to appease these ancient titan-like gods, mm-hmm. right, with blood sacrifices. Okay, and it, but so they're manipulating the situation, so they play on all the horror tropes as if there's man behind the curtain kind of thing, right? And so it has a lot of implications about that kind of discussion. Uh, but most often, what people don't know is that the horror genre owes a good deal to Christianity and probably Jewish apocalyptic literature. Uh, in medieval Catholicism is where you get a lot of uh, ideas about horror. And so uh, I don't think that's quite as big, but sci-fi, for me as a kid, I, I think it's typically typically nerds in general um, is what they used to call it. Now it's geeks. I think geeks is the appropriate term. Yeah. But geeks in general, if you like that sort of thing, you're going to be more inclined to like 
philosophical discussions and theological discussions and apologetics discussions. Because a lot, like when you get into the Kalam cosmological argument, you're going to get into a lot of cosmology and you're going to get into physics and things like that. And so I think there's all these connections that gravitate people towards that. And of course, it's just cool, right? I mean, there's, there's part of it is just cool to sit back and enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, for me, I, I remember for as long as I've been alive, Star Wars has been a part of my life. Star Trek has been a part of my life. The Terminator movies have been a part of my life. You know, it's just always ever present. And it, it so happens. They weren't a part of my life as far back as I can recall because I was not allowed to see R rated movies. So movies like Terminator were completely off the table, as well as Die Hard, as well as a lot of those kind of things. But that plays in because the movies that that are quintessential geek and nerd type movies, like Star Trek as a TV show and movies, and like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and like Star Wars, and those kind of things, I was allowed to watch those, and yeah. so was everybody else in my age bracket. Right. So so those come to mind. But I, I do think that there's something to it that, that you're right, that the person who is naturally interested in those things is also going to be interested in this, and I, yeah, but it's not all just nerdy kids, right? I mean, look well, at no. look at the guy, the Molinist guy, Tim Stratton. I mean, that dude's, you know, he looks like a, bulked up and and yeah. good shape, but he's also into this kind of thing. Hey, you come to it, I mean, you know, theology. So it's not like we're saying everyone's got tape on their glasses and they're nerdy types, but but I, you know, we're saying all, all kinds of people. But those who are inclined to like that kind of thing drift. But it's not even just that. Like yeah. uh, take take uh, fairy tales. Yeah. This is true with fairy tales too. Basically, everything you'll see represented at Comic Con, you know. But like, right. take Snow White for example. The meta narrative of the Christian story is all over Snow White. You you've got the evil one who is jealous of Snow White, and Snow White ends up um, being poisoned with an apple. Which even though the the, the Genesis doesn't tell us the fruit, right? right? It's it's everybody thinks of an apple, and so she eats of this and she dies. She dies. You know, it's not full blown resurrection, but she don't want to make it too obvious, right? And she's asleep, and a prince comes, and so Snow White is humanity, and a prince comes and kisses. It's it's love that conquers. The death, and then she rises again. And in the original uh, story, uh, my daughter was telling me that the the queen, uh, the, the evil queen or whatever, ends up having to dance forever until she dies or something in shoes that are burning hot. Ooh, <laughs> burning hot! You know, so th- there's all these things all over. Yeah, that- well, in the grim, I mean, whatever we want to say about their personal salvation, whatever. It's Christian mm-hmm. literature in the sense that yeah. it comes from a highly Christianized culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's a big, important part of it. There two, two things you can get from that. One, readers in general have always been theologically minded and you know philosophically inclined. Because um, there's references everywhere in great right. books. Right, I mean, just, yeah, and, and just reading, people who read widely and generously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have, even today... Um, Science fiction does what theology should do, um, which is, but it may be in reverse. So science fiction makes social commentary about the present detailing things that are taking place probably in the near or far future, right? Theology should, should take the story, the biblical narrative, and the theology that we derive from the biblical text uh, in the ancient world and speak to the present, but I think that connection there of being interested in culture 
it's hard to be a pastor or a theologian uh, or an apologist or something and have zero interest in culture. And right now, if you look at like the Comic Con, what is it? It's it's TV, television, movies, television, film, uh, even books. Uh, a lot of those people are avid readers as well, and comic books and mm-hmm. things like that. And so those things are having a huge voice in the culture, whereas. Uh, I hate to go back to this, but new atheists aren't having a huge voice in culture compared to Stan Lee. Stan Lee has done more to shape culture, I think, than Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris. You know, it's funny. That's probably true. Yeah. Almost certainly true. But that's an interesting... Now, let's talk about Marvel for a second. Okay. Because you did kind of lead it that way. As I watch like one of these Avengers movies, which now every Marvel movie that comes out is every character is in all of them. They're all right. Avengers movies, and Avengers now just means every character, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, you've got okay. If we were to take the theological interests of these movies, what you have is you have you have all of Greek mythology is true, um, or at least every you know it's all up for grabs as being true. You mean Norse mythology? That too. And then you have... What moral um, character has got the Greek stuff? Well, isn't that what... Um, Wonder Woman's Greek, isn't she? That's, that's DC. Greek. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying I messed up and crossed over to DC. Yeah. But there's certainly... Surely there are. Aren't there? Surely I, there I are. Don't, I uh, don't. I'm a DC guy. I'm a DC guy. So, I mean, I like the Marvel movie. Marvel makes better films, but, I mean, if, you, if I had to pick my superheroes... I agree that they make better films... But my favorite superheroes would be Superman, Batman. But I Wonder think Woman, the Batman, Flash. the most recent yeah. Batman trilogy, is in a class of its own. I don't yeah. put it as a yeah. But I mean, with the rest but of the yeah, DC. you get Norse mythology with Doctor Strange. You get all that Eastern mysticism. And, okay, so all that magic. True. Yeah, all of that's true. Uh, I mean, but would you be surprised if they threw Zeus in there or something? Like, would you? Would you like? All of a sudden, think, oh well, now that's too far. I mean, no, you'd be like, <laughs> no, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, because everything goes. Christianity's true because, or at least we have a character who affirms Christianity in the face of Thor's existence, and that's Captain America. Yeah, I mean, and Daredevil's Catholic. Yeah, and I and uh, yeah, now now and see, X Men, X Men mm. affirms uh, the existence of demons and Christian stuff like that. So you got everything there. Yeah. Now, that's the contradict bumper sticker that comes to my mind. <laughs> right, right. But that's, that's what I've been saying for years on this program for those, and I can actually say we've been doing this for years now. Yeah. Um, our culture is thoroughly pagan, which is why going back to the Greco-Roman literature and seeing how Christianity conquered, that's very important because as of today, that contradict bumper sticker, yeah, it's a bumper sticker, and, but it's actually true because it's, it, it's a rebuttal sticker to the... Um, coexist that has all the religious symbols, right? And the contradict mm-hmm. has all the religious symbols uh, making up that word. And it, and it's true because paganism is a madness worldview. And so a uh, w- few interesting discussions. One is um, the connect of how do, we, how do apologists speak to a culture like that? Um, how, how do, and theologians, how do we speak into a pagan culture that, that does have self-contradictory worldviews all bound up in this big bundle? Because even with Marvel, people were okay with the Thor movies saying, well, science and magic's really what you call magic, we call science. Okay, naturalism, still, okay, we're good. Okay, but then Dr. Strange, directed by a fellow Biola grad, by the way, oh, Dr. Really? Strange throws a curveball and says, nope. There is magic. 
And it's just magic. It's not science passing itself. It's magic. Get mm-hmm. over it. And so now you have all of that in one big hairball. And so, it, you know. Well, but what lies beneath all of this, and I think there's a... I think there's a bit of an agenda here. Actually, I think what Marvel's trying to do is to appeal to everybody. That's what they're trying to do. That's why you got the Christian guy. you got the uh, Eastern religion guy. You've probably got some atheists in there. You've got everybody represented. Um, But at the same time, and I wonder if this is intentional or unintentional, but, okay, we got Thor over here that the kind of people that are watching Marvel movies don't believe in Thor. Right. But then we put Christianity right up alongside Thor and make it the most medieval representation of Christianity. And it looks as stupid as Thor looks. You think that's an intentional? I don't know if that's intentional. Like I said, I backed up and said, I think probably what's intentional is trying to appeal to everybody and also have cool superheroes. But the the underlying messaging is that... All this faith stuff is stupid but fun to play with. I think yeah. is what's going or on. Or all of intentional this... Intentional or unintentional. Or all of this is true and can coexist, and never mind the contradictory stuff if you look beneath the surface. And the enemy would be happy with either of those. Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the role of... Uh, so C.S. Lewis uh, wrote the Space Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the role of Christianity in science fiction? Well, I think you hit on it a little bit before, and I hit it on a little bit before, which is, number one, fairy tales and things like this allow us to cement in the thinking of our children and in our culture the themes of atonement, redemption, good and evil, those kind of things. That's good. Because then when my daughter... Have you ever noticed this mysterious thing? Like, Christianity is kind of a strange thing. Like, the the death on the cross, the God coming to earth as a man, you know, all that. That's all very strange. Yeah. But somehow... Seven-year-olds understand it. Yes. And I think probably part of that is our training them up in the way they should go, but I think part Mm -hmm. of it probably is, honestly, is these themes have been set forward in everything they've seen at that point. Because at that point, what are they watching? Fairy tales. And even when they're watching something like Transformers or... G.I. Joe, all my references are from eighty, from the 1980s, but then, of course, the 1980s is all being rebooted, so it still works. Um, but, but all those kind of shows that, that some kids are watching, those also at least have the good, the evil, I'll fall on the grenade for my people, you know, that kind of thing. The altruism. So it's all still there. Yeah, the altruism. So it's all still there. Stories teach values yeah. and, and, and help clarify values. Now, sometimes, you know, and in, in I would say from the mid-'90s to the early 2000s, uh, the defunct postmodernist movement in philosophy spilled over into film, right, mm-hmm. and television shows, and it went away fairly quickly. But it left us with like the anti-hero or whatever. But that's still yeah. you can grasp. Uh, everyone's flawed. Everyone's a sinner. Whatever. Okay, but let's take that for a minute. Yeah. Now this takes us out of science fiction for a second, but it's still in film and culture. Right. So the a most obvious example of that is Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Breaking Bad. Your hero is a meth dealer. Yes. He's the anti-hero. However, let's think about that for a second. And this is, of course, the point of the show, is to create an interesting thing going on in your brain. I'm not encouraging anybody to watch Breaking Bad, but an interesting thing yeah. going on in your brain with what's actually happened is this guy is found out that he's dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and he only has like a year to live or something. So he, d- he wants to leave his family with money, a way to survive, and he doesn't have a way. He's just been a high school chemistry teacher. But he realizes that he can use chemistry to make millions cre- making meth. Okay, of course that's wrong. Of course that's horrible. Right. But 
is the anti, is, but is it completely devoid of anything moral, like any moral categories? No. What underlies that is the good of wanting to provide for your family. Don't anybody walk away from this with me saying that's the way to do it, right? right? That's horrible and leads to death and destruction and all these kind of things. And I'm against anti-hero shows and movies for reasons that we can talk about in a moment. But even there, what I'm saying is the secular culture cannot escape the moral categories right. that underlie all of that and find their foundation yeah. in God. Objectively good morally to want to provide for your family, mm-hmm. objectively bad to sell drugs and destroy people's lives. And right. Cause crime. And they know that, right. which is why the show, to the people that watch it, is interesting. Is What do you do when those collide? So you, you don't like the anti-hero type. I'll tell you why I don't like the anti-hero, and you'll disagree with me, because I think we've discussed it on the show, and I think you did disagree with me. So how's that for a setup? Okay. Uh, I like... I like the fact that, like I said before, in our storytelling, in any culture, our storytelling does, like you said, play into our thinking. Stan Lee has impacted culture more than Dawkins, right? I like that. I think that's good because what it because you do remember these stories. These stories are emotionally powerful. They're the myths that we tell our culture, and myths right. are important for, for uh, instilling value. So if you play with the myths... If you play with the narratives such that they don't reflect reality anymore and they praise things that are not good, then you distort the culture by extension. So when we were growing up even, and there may have been examples where this is not true, anomalies, but for most of human history, right up until the 1980s maybe, the, of course people can find examples, but the good, you know, take Star Wars. You've got the good side, and the dark side, the light side and the dark side of the force. And you have good characters, and you have bad characters, and the bad characters wear, or at least the main guy, wears black, right? And he's menacing, and he's evil-looking. You just look at him, and it's, it's terrifying. And then the good side is a lowly, like we might almost say he's a moisture farmer, but a shepherd boy, you know, like a lowly, okay, he's wearing white, you know, he's going after the villain. He's wearing robes. Right. It's all, it's all good. And he, and he comes from the desert. You know, it's, 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 it's it's very, it's, it's, it works. Okay. And people resonate with that. Or complain about it. Uh, But skip forward to Rogue One. Yeah. Okay. Um, Rogue One what I did not like about Rogue One, and I will say Rogue One is probably, in terms of entertainment value, yeah. uh, up there with Empire Strikes Back. Right. Those two, you and I agree, are the best yeah. of what we have so far. Um, but what I don't like about Rogue One is now the Rebels aren't the good guys anymore, and the dark side is the bad guys. I mean, kind of, basically, but on the other hand, there's a group of Rebels over here, and they're like, terrorists, extremists. And then you start throwing in these characters that kill people for no reason who are working for the rebels. Like toward the beginning of Rogue One, our main character girl, or no, one of our main character guys has to get out of a sticky situation. What does he do? Kill a guy. An innocent guy. You know, so this sort of thing happens. Okay, you could point me to the who shot first, Han or Guido. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greedo. But but anyway, the, the, yeah, but Greedo wasn't a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a good guy. But Han Solo was the anti-hero type. I mean, he was right, and he's an anti-hero that throughout the arc of the entire Star Wars saga, he was the guy that even says in Episode Four, "I don't believe in all this religion, all this stuff." But he comes around mm-hmm. in the end to believing it and dying for it. And in fact, as you probably know, because you're a geek like I am. Harrison Ford wanted Han to die in Return of the Jedi yeah. in an act of sacrifice to the cause of the Force. Yeah. Because and, and that's still basically what happened. 
you know? And, and the, uh, the whole thing is just that it's good and evil. What do we have now? Watch the Disney movies. Even going back to the 1980s, watch the Disney movies. What do you see? In most of them, the parents who should be trusted, you know, in, in the, like, first century uh, honor shame, you want to protect the family yeah. unit, the family unit's important, bring shame if you don't. The, the parents are, are supposed to represent the good. Now, we know that there are cases in the world where that's not the way it plays out. But, of course, we want to illustrate that that's bad, right? Mm-hmm. So, But in the Disney movies, the parents just don't understand. If they knew what I knew, and so I'm going to disobey my parents. Or sitcoms where dad's the dumbest person in the room. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true, too. But let's get there in a second, because we're on geeks and fantasy and film. Little Mermaid. What happens in Little Mermaid? She wants to transcend and go to the other place where those people are good. And the dad, King Triton, he just doesn't get it. Right. And if he only got it, so what's good for me is ignore my parents and go the other way and disobey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moana, one of the newest Disney movies, same thing. My parents don't want me to leave this island. They don't get it. I get it. I'm going to go the other way, and regardless of what my parents say. Um, what, what's another example? There's other Disney movies where that's uh, the case. Uh, maybe Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. There, there, there are ones like this. Okay. Well, Simba runs off. Simba. Yeah. My dad doesn't know best. Yeah. Um, Scar knows best, and then Scar kills dad <laughs> yeah, right, because right. of Simba. Being okay, so down that, there that at least brought it back the, around, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but there's so that's one thing. But then another thing uh, bound up in this is the enemy in a lot of these films is just misunderstood. Yeah. Right. Which has a ring of truth to it because sometimes that is the case. But when we're telling our myths, right, which are what these movies are that impact yeah. the culture, you don't, that's not the point. The point is good and bad, and you want to go for the good. Yes, there are individuals who are a combination, and we all to some degree are a combination, but that's not the point of myth building and yeah. th- that impacts culture. So in Moana, for example, the big evil enemy that's doing everything wrong turns out to be some kind of good, wonderful, pure, and if you only understood the motives, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. And and all and a lot of these films have that. Or Thanos in his mind in the Marvel movies. Yeah, maybe he he's like, right. And there's been all these. We geek wipe out debates. half the population. Look how much these people are flourishing after I did this right. on this one planet. You know, right. they're all better now, even Which, though they of had course, to go through this. That's ridiculous because yeah. leave it to that planet. That's their own business. But who are you to be God? Yeah. You know. But yes, it's it's maybe we just misunderstand the villain. Right. And um and 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 in fact, in Elsa. In, in the Frozen film, we're not the first to point this out. Uh, the whole story is you've got this power that it, that that could destroy our kingdom, could kill everyone. But what's the what's the film about? Be who you are. Do whatever you want. Let it go. Right. right. Let it go. D- never mind the fact, and it's never pointed out in the film that you letting it go and being who you want to be or whatever resulted in creating a snow beast that nearly killed everyone and froze the entire kingdom. You heard it first. Don't be true to yourself. <laughs> Don't Fraction always be hunter. true to... No, yes. <laughs> that's right. Don't always be true to yourself. Right, because you're a wicked sinner and you're going to do bad things. Right. Or cause but did, chaos. Does that not shock anyone about the frozen... I, mean, it, yeah. I don't know how you miss that. Let it go. Okay, it's going to kill everyone, but let it go. Right. right. Of course, what is this an underlying message about? Well, maybe a lot of things, but part of it is obviously a, has to do with the whole, we'll just say, equality thing, you know? Um, don't listen to everyone else. Just let it go. Be who you are. And people have taken that on as an anthem of sorts. Uh, but 
Yeah, so that's what I have to say about that. Also, dragons. <laughs> I could go on forever about this. A dragon has long been a symbol of, of evil, right? Yeah. But how to train your dragon... Now, maybe I'm reaching a little bit here, going too far. But how do you train your dragon? The dragon's actually... The black dragon is actually the good... The, the goodest good character in the film, right? <laughs> so I'm just saying there's this turning around of things. Don't listen to your parents. The enemy is misunderstood. If we only saw it, give away these archaic ideas, well, here's, accept what's progressive. Here's the rebuttal to that. Okay. Yeah, but life is complicated, Braxton. Mm-hmm. Things are complex. Things are mm-hmm. not always as simple as good, evil, black, white, mm-hmm. you know, up, down, odd, even. It's not always like that. Things are complicated and yes. complex. People are complicated and complex. People mm-hmm. have uh, conflicting desires within them. They have conflicting motives, all that. Why can't we express that in our movies? We can express and that, and, and we can have conversations about that. But this is why I said a moment ago, the, in terms of myth, which is what these fairy tales are, mm-hmm. which is what Star Wars is, which is what, in terms of building myth, that because un- that, that, what it's doing, if you just create a fictional story, with a character that is has a confused identity or something. Okay, fair enough. But when you are creating a narrative that mimics the meta-narrative of reality, right? Mm-hmm. The resurrection, the death, God, creation, all these kind of things. What love really is and all that. And then you play with that. Because Luke, Luke Skywalker or uh, what's another? I don't want to keep going back to Star Wars. or Whatever. The good, or Gandalf, or whatever it is. The good... Hmm is a stand-in for the good, right? And evil is a stand-in for real evil. And so it doesn't need to be confused. Now, you can make little trivialized stories about whatever, and fine. But even there, I don't like what Breaking Bad says to culture, which is maybe sometimes the best thing is to cook some meth. I don't know. (laughs) know, I I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, And and you say, well, people are smart enough to realize... "Mm." I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of meth out there. I'm from <laughs> yeah. Arkansas. We got plenty of meth. Yeah. You know? Uh yeah. So again, it brings us back around what's the what's the Christian's role in all this? What's Christianity got to say about um culture, geek culture? Because Christians are definitely into it. You wrote a dystopian set of novels, The Chronicles of Adonai. Um but it's gotta serve a, a larger purpose because I mean, what, 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 Christians can't just continue consuming this stuff. Uh, one thing that I like that you and I talked about earlier is that you can take those as cue points to, to turn them into gospel conversations and evangelistic opportunities mm-hmm. from cultural cue points like objective morals, uh, you know, virtues and uh, meta narratives of creation, fall, redemption, salvation, resurrection, yeah. all of that kind of thing. Uh, non supernatural, you know, versus nat- naturalistic versus supernaturalistic worldviews, and all of those things provide us, plus illustrations for complicated philosophical. Life. All those provide entry points, I think, for the Christian to engage in evangelism. But Christians can't just be consumers and usurpers of that kind of thing for other things. They've also got to be creators of it, I think. Um, preferably not cheaply, but it brings up a lot of problems for for Christians. Um, People like Tolkien and Lewis get a pass because they're Tolkien and Lewis, but don't you talk about wizards and and magic and 
and all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I think, you know, you like, draw the line well, for that? Well, for like, Christian okay, so my, my novels... Is overtly Christian. Well, yes, but so was Lewis. You know, everybody always acts like, oh, if you want the good example of, uh, you know, subtle Christian message masked in imagery, Lewis, the Narnia series or something, that's your thing. Those people have never read the Narnia series. Yeah, it's not subtle. It is on the nose. But it's not labeled with Bible. And sometimes it does come right out and say... What I'm saying, you know, Aslan is Jesus. Jesus. I mean, no, it probably doesn't just say it, but right. No, but I'm just saying. You know, but why the space do they get trilogy a pass? does. The space trilogy does. The land. But why do you think they get a pass, Lewis? And and, and but but because it's a long time ago, and they wrote a bunch of really cool philosophical stuff aside from that. Well, Lewis did. Yeah. Well. Okay. Mere Christianity. By the time you've read Mere Christianity, Screw Tape Letters, um, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, some. Some of the other things, you, you get to the point where you are, you know, a grief observed, the great divorce, you know, yeah. all these things. You, you read all these and then uh, surprised by joy. You get to the place where by the time you read this, you're like, this guy's a deep thinker. Yeah. And this is a really novel approach to storytelling. And so it just, you already are so, set up for it. So for, for, for Christians, though, it's like if you don't shove Jesus in there, and I know we've talked about this before. If you, then it's not te- te- Christian. But was C.S. Lewis right? We need more Christians writing good books no. or more yeah. good Christian books. Even if Lord of the Rings. What, what do you What do you think? Even though? if Tolkien says that it's not allegory or something, mm-hmm. uh, it it might as well be. You know, I mean, I don't know. He may not have intended it, it, but I hear people quote it that way. You yeah. know, in sermons and stuff. Uh, because even if he didn't want, even if he wasn't doing an allegory. It was very much telling that meta narrative, right? Yeah. And so that doesn't claim anything about Jesus or Christianity or whatever, but it still is. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's good. I don't agree with like the CCM music idea about like back in the '90s, or whatever. I don't know. This is true. This is what I've heard is that you couldn't get accepted or get a record deal with with uh, word music or whatever unless. You had Jesus a certain number of times mentioned by name in your songs or on your album or whatever. I don't know that's true, but um, but if that's true, I'm against that kind of thing. Like I, I do think you can do a Tolkien kind of thing um, in my novels. And I wanted to say so you, this: you think just Christians writing more good books? Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. That's is, what you've said, and I yeah. agree. No, that's what Lewis said. But uh, I'm just saying, yeah. do you agree with? But we Lewis? need are not more. Christian books, we need more Christians writing good books. Right. That's what he said. And I, I agree. But what I was going to say, and I keep trying to say, I want to get this but out. But then you went and did... Is my books are, like, because they're young adult... Yeah. I'm not saying you can't write a a, a, a subtler young adult book. Yeah. But, you know, when I started writing that, Hunger Games was popular, uh, Divergent or whatever that is was coming out. And I wanted to do something that was similar or, or played with the idea that was in the culture at the time. Because yeah. it wasn't just them, it was everywhere. And it has been everywhere. I mean, it goes back. There's a history of dystopian sort of things. But it's the big dumb action movie of books that someone like me would write. Like, I'm not yeah. claiming that it's, you know, Shakespeare here, or, or <laughs> Tolkien, or something like that. No, it's entertaining. But, but it's it's the big it's dumb action movie. Yarn. But yeah. it's kind of like The Matrix, right? It's yeah. The Matrix is a big dumb action movie that has some philosoph- smart philosophical... No, it has overtones. dumb philosophical overtones in well, it. It's postmodern. Not really. You're right. But the thing that is good about Matrix, I like the Matrix. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the, nobody. The, but I can like dumb things. Well, you but know, what did the Matrix it's dumb? But as much as anything else, the Matrix gave us a bullet time. illustration. No, I'm just it gave us an illustration for 
what philosophers have always talked to when you're trying to get to Cartesian certainty. Yeah. And, and before the Matrix, everyone always said, you might be a brain in a vat, by which yeah. they mean, you might not, this all might not be real. For all you can prove, you might be a brain in a vat being stimulated to think that all of this is real. Right, and, and that, for 19 yeah. years it's been the brain in the but vat. But now everybody says, yeah, yeah. except for Cy Ten Bruggen Kate, now yeah. everyone says, you might be in the matrix yeah. instead of a brain in a vat. So it gave us a good visual so that when you're standing in a, a lecture and you say you might be in the matrix, if I say you might be in a brain in a vat, I have to explain it like I just did. Yeah. But if I say you might be in the matrix, everyone gets it. Right, even if they've never seen the matrix, they know what But it. they know what the matrix right. is, yeah. So where do you want to go next? Well, my, again, where so if it's allegory... Then it's okay to write about witches and warlocks and, and demons sure. and, and, and and so if it's allegory, it's all right to talk about uh, maybe wrap up a, a meta narrative in a science fiction thing of where there's all sorts of alien races like so. But real world stuff, people would say if aliens exist, then Christianity is not true because that would somehow mean evolution is true and life evolved on. Well, we have a show on things. Go watch our show. Yeah, on. no. Uh, but there's a lot of Christians have apprehensions about certain things, um, even though the people who are most inclined to see that's what's weird because you and I come from uh, cultures, evangelical cultures that have uh, a naysayer finger wag about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Harry Potter, I, I as even as recent as Harry Potter, that's demonic, you know. Even though but, if but you're looking. If you're looking for a film yeah. series or a book series that does kind of capture the good and evil and the redemption story yeah. and the atonement and all that, that's a great one. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that was the intention of the author. Yeah, J.K., whatever so, you think of her Christianity, she's... Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. So, so, but the thing is, we come out of that background. When I was a kid, it was Dungeons and & Dragons and heavy metal music and all of that kind of stuff. But what it, what is interesting about that is... How is it that, on the one hand, we have an evangelical culture that hates that kind of thing, and yet the people who are going to be most theologically in interested and the most, you know, interested in, not just in, in, in learning about doctrine and theology and exegesis and apologetics, but actually I would even make the argument, even because of their Christian influence interests, that spills over into their holiness of living, they actually live holier, and they like all the things that a certain swath of Southern evangelical culture says is bad, bad, bad. It seems like those two shouldn't go together, but those two have been going together since I can, as long as I can remember. C.S. Lewis was a big fan of pagan literature. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I, well, what he liked, if the Christmas letters are to be believed, we have these, we have these articles that Lewis may have written. I, th I don't know if there's much debate about it uh, for a newspaper. We talked about it last Christmas. Yeah on the Christmas episode, but um, I think we read them and talked about them. But uh, what he, people misunderstand this, what he appreciated about like Druid type pagan stuff uh, was that they already believed in the supernatural and they believed in all these categories, but the, and they didn't have the naturalism. Yeah. Whereas the, um, whereas the naturalist just says all that's fake. And he was trying to say, I'd rather you get to the, I'd rather be dealing with a paganism, yeah, because they already at least have the anyway. But the thing about the so, what were you saying? Like so, 
So it's interesting to me that the the, the people who probably take Christianity the most. Oh, seriously. I know what I was going to say. So, the, so these, so like the type of people you're talking about, like yeah. a really staunch independent Baptist or something, who says uh, the Smurfs are evil, uh, He Man <laughs> is evil. Uh, which uh, that's what I grew up with, frankly. I think I was allowed to watch the Smurfs, but not <laughs> He-Man. Um, but all these things are are evil, uh, and you shouldn't watch it. Here's where I appreciate, and, and horror movies, here's what I appreciate about that. I do think it is true that if you mess around with demonic stuff, you're that's a bad road to go down. Yeah. And if you, you join the occult, of course. Well, I you know, I think but, there's something mystical about demonology or, or that subject yeah. That people get yeah, I mean, locked this, onto it. Dr. Kevin Lewis at Biola, my favorite professor there, the unsung hero of the Apologetics program, has a, a phenomenal set of videos and stuff on you can find on YouTube. That's his thing. He, he mm-hmm. and he's constantly on Facebook telling you need to take the occult seriously because it's it's here. Right. And yeah. so I do think there's something to that. And I what I always heard growing up it's was probably you're, you'll give a foothold to the devil if you yeah. pay attention to that stuff. Which may be true, and as I've just argued, I think may be true, although in that context, in that passage, what Paul, I think, was specifically talking about was anger will give a foothold to, to right. the demonic. But, but, the, 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 but still, uh, I, think there's, I don't blame those people for that. I, I think there's, good, there's a message that's good there, but don't try to tell me that that's like, you know, thus saith the Lord about that, yeah. you know. Um, I, I, I will say what I always say. You should c- consume more books than you do film and television. Um, but you should consume film and it television. it makes you sound smart to say that, right? Well, no, <laughs> how many books have you read this year? Come on. Well, you, 31 or two, but I had to stop. Cause, right. But, so, yeah. I mean, don't act like it's just me. Um, but people should be reading more books. I, I saw, uh, I'm going to cat out of the bag. I walked into his office today and saw a Big old tub full of Star Wars novels from my child teenage years, yeah. childhood. It's because I'm moving and I had to do this, something with those books, so I brought them to the, <laughs> to office. the office. Right. So if you walk yeah. in, you you see, you know, scholarly like the literature, entire canon of then, Star Wars. It's not Star canon Wars. anymore. Right. You know, you've got theology books and scholarships. Since we're talking about geek stuff, did you yeah. know what I heard in Canada this weekend? What did you? Hear you know, like the quintessential Canadian uh, Mountie. Yeah. You know, the red and the and the horse. My understanding is that they have um, sold the rights to the Mountie to Disney. Just think about that. Think about how how American that is for Canada to do. Disney owns everything. Yeah, that is quite American. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, But, okay, so what what else do we have to say? Well, it's just, for me, uh, I challenged you to a debate number of years ago where you had to defend... Star Wars, and I was going to affirm Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. as being more, uh, having more intrinsic value for for, mm-hmm. the, for Christendom. Which is partly because Peter Jackson did a much better job with his films of that, and partly because it's an older story that everyone has appreciation for, so you felt like there'd be a lot of innate sympathy for Tolkien. No, I, I, more people have seen the Lord of the Rings movies probably than have actually read Tolkien. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, at least among our... Age yeah. group, you know. Um, so I think Star Wars has a, has a bigger fan base. So you have that going for you. But I think uh, I don't believe you. By the way, when you say I don't mean to change the subject, I don't believe you when you say that you prefer Star Trek to Star Wars. You don't? Absolutely not. 
I like them both pretty high, but it's like the difference between 99 and 100, but Star Trek gets the 100. Uh, you're lying. No. <laughs> no. Because I've heard you too much talk about everything that's wrong with Star Trek. Well, I could talk about everything that's wrong with Star Wars, too. All you ca- okay, if you took the midi-chlorians when, when, out... When what's-his-name... No, forget that. When, when Anakin Skywalker was sitting in the podcast... I mean the podcast, the pod radio. <laughs> he is right now. Yeah, when he was when Anakin Skywalker was sitting classic in classic Trinity Radio pod racer, Qui Gon Jinn walks up to him and says the number one thing that that, that is destroying Western civilization what? as we know what it. He, he said he said feel, don't think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That which is what we were told to do at the at the Western Wall. <laughs> the worst thing in the world to do is to don't think. Yeah. Come on. That's how horrible is that? Yeah. I yeah. agree. Horrible. Horrible. It's all about feelings. I don't deny that. So that one that one statement se- that ruined, ruined Star Wars for you. No, I'm saying I can pick <laughs> on Star Wars too. But that's really the Star Wars is is a pagan mess, you know? Yeah. At least at least Star Trek's mostly naturalistic outlook is as intellectually consistent but, to me as Christianity. But go back to... I, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm go saying... Go back to Lewis' no, 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 no. Christmas thing. No, let, Would you rather work off of the pagan? Right, because they have a supernaturalist... And redeem it? They have a supernaturalist yeah. worldview that's yeah. easier to... Uh, for yeah. Christianity to be agreed don't with. you don't you get mad until but what you've I'm gone back is, and listened to what we said in, terms of, in the Christmas special from no, last year. But in terms of storytelling and interest, Star Trek does a better job of staying intellectually consistent. And granted, it uses a poor naturalistic framework to do it. I doubt it. Be- there's so much Star Trek, so much more Star Trek than there is Star Wars out yeah. there. I guarantee you there's contradictory mess in it. Oh, of course there is. Yeah. Of course there is. But I'm saying, why did I like more? It's from a storytelling aspect. From what You just enjoy the, the stories better than Star Wars. Yeah, and, and and which is weird for me because I'm more of a serialized television fan. Like, I like Discovery because it's serialized, and I like Deep Space Nine because it's serialized, as opposed to episodic. But if you go back to the original series, and you go back to Next Generation and Voyager, they're episodic. You know, I mean, Voyager has an overall arch and get home, but it, it's largely episodic. It but was Gilligan's those, Island. It was Star Trek Gilligan's Island. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and it's my least favorite, by yeah. the way. Um, but Star Trek, it, it's, it's, it's... Every time I think of it, I want to use an illustration for something, you can go to um, Star Trek episodes and find something that helps you uh, think about yeah, issues in a lot of, of ways. They philosophy, done, metaphysics, yeah. politics, and stuff. And you and what I like about where they are inconsistent is where they slip up, especially in the original series, where naturalism gives way to uh, all kinds of weird metaphysical and, and supernatural elements that come in that don't get scientific explanations. Uh, it's not quite as overt as like Battlestar Galactica, which is yeah, God and 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 uh, Baltar and six. Are actually also angels. Uh, that's because in other people's heads. That's and, because I think know. I think, and this is us being casual now. That's because I think if there's an agenda to Star Trek, it's naturalistic atheism, or at least sure. it's natural. Yeah, naturalistic atheism. If there's an agenda to Battlestar Galactica, it's Mormonism. 
right? Well, the original. Right, right. But, but what was interesting about the remake, and we've talked about this before, is it was the one true God that was the, the real... Yeah, right. There was one. It was kind of dumped right. on... But uh, if there's the an agenda... Or if, Glenn Larson's probably... If, the, if there's an agenda for Star Wars, nobody will agree with me because all they all love to jump to the Eastern stuff. But I don't think that... I honestly don't think George Lucas was trying to teach you that Eastern mysticism is true. No. I think the agenda there was the kind of like Marvel... The Marvel Universe. Like, I don't necessarily think the agenda there is to teach you that all these other religions are true. I think the agenda for Star Wars and the agenda for Avengers was make a darn good story movie. Right. Well, I I think he borrowed those ideas for world building as as far as it went for George Lucas. But there's also the difference between what was intended and its inevitable significance Mm -hmm. and how the people translate it. Now, an interesting debate in all of this is this, though. On the one hand, I agree with Lewis. It's easier to talk to a pagan culture than it is a naturalistic culture. But on the other hand, you have a problem. Because, believe it or not, atheism, as far as internally coherent, it's false. But they do a better job at being at least somewhat... I think it's intellectually closer to Christianity than paganism in this sense. They do try to, even though they have no foundation for it, they try to see, think rationally, use reason and logic, and have intellectual consistency within their worldview, even though there's nothing proper, there's no foundation for it. Yeah, that's true. So it's pick your poison. Which one do you? Right, and I definitely yeah. go side with Lewis. It's easier yeah. someone already than it is. It's easier to convert a pagan than an atheist. It's easier to convert. Um, well, but the, the, here's why. But, here's why the pagan stuff. Is with the pagan stuff, um, all you have to do is point out to them that you don't live like that's true. Right, <laughs> your life life doesn't work the but way the you're describing it. Same thing you can do with no, the- because with the atheist, you can't. With the atheist, you can say, "Do you live like that's true?" And in most cases, they'll say, "Yeah." But they can't fill. Oh, we don't think you, you have to. But you, but it's under the surface, right? Right. Because you could have an atheist just grant like, "Yeah, morality is not real," you know. Yeah, big deal, and they sound awful, but they could say that. Right, uh, you could say, yeah, but on determinism, you couldn't believe other than you believe. Yeah, but you know, so it, it, you're right. It's pick your poison. Yeah. It's easier for Christians to, to speak into a pagan culture than a naturalistic mm-hmm. culture. But you know, uh, a paganistic culture is is culturally disastrous. I mean, ancient Greece, Absolutely. modern America, but naturalism is a old is ultimately a disaster too. So. Everybody needs Jesus. Yes, everyone needs Jesus, we, and, and I think it's incumbent... You should have worn your t-shirt today where you have all the superheroes lined up, yeah. and Jesus is sitting there, and he's like, yeah. and that's how I save the world. Right. I, I, I like that shirt. Yeah. Uh, my wife got that, and kids got that for me. Yeah. Uh, the But as Christian apologists and as Christian theologians, uh, we're to be public apologists. Public the, We're supposed to live this out. And because we are interested in... Uh, you know, it just so happens that we're all interested in this sort of thing. We're all interested in in uh, geek culture, I guess, mm-hmm. would be the overall mm-hmm. thing. Um, we have we have an obligation, I think, to speak into that culture, combining what's true, good, and beautiful from that culture, and 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 pointing those things as signposts to Christ. But at the same time, pointing out what is ugly and evil. And bad about it, and and rebuking that, yeah. Um, and so I, I don't want Christians to, you know, you know how you say you don't want apologetics to be a Christian's hobby. Well, I don't want Christians' hobbies like <clears throat> geek culture 
to be separate from the sacred. You've got to redeem that too, mm-hmm. you know. And the way you do it is, is I think number one, you can use it for evangelism. Number two, I think as you and I talked about earlier in this program, it's easy for illustrating complex ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in our ethics class at Biola, um, we watched a clip of a Star Trek episode to to get our heads around discussing an ethical issue. And I think that yeah, uh, people, because we have all of this media, I think Christians should take advantage of that yeah. and use use that stuff. So, so it can't just be uh, our hobby that we're interested in these kinds of things, and, and well, we'll leave it at that. The, We've got these to... are these are our myths for our culture today in the yeah. Western world. These are our myths, and the myths shape culture and music. Also, we could do a whole show just like this on music. Music shapes culture. I forget what famous person it was that said. Um, if you want to change a culture, you start by changing their music. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that go on too. But so as a Christian apologist or even just a Christian evangelist, it's good to, it's not necessary, but it's good to be aware of what myths they're imbibing in. And what's interesting about the day and age in which we live that's different about our myths is in the past, people would say, yeah, that's, that's, our, that's what we believe. Yeah. Whereas today, what we say is, oh, no, of course I don't believe uh, that Breaking Bad represents the way things are, or that um, Avengers, that the religions there. Of course, I believe that's all just uh, just just fiction. Yeah, that's not right. But in a subtle way, it turns the tide and moves the whole ship in a certain direction, right. and we need to be aware that's of those right. things. If you want to take classes and become you 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 like. Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, and you're you, you prefer Star Trek to Star Wars, like I do, and you ultimately, and, but you like both, and you like Lord of the Rings and stuff, and you want to scratch your theology itch, you need to sign up for uh, either audit or for credit courses here at Trinity College of the Bible Theological Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, click somewhere over there and uh, help support yes, us. Yes, and on a patron, and along those lines, thank you to A. Balam, Alan Atchison, Alex Harton, Annette Burns. Armin Jacob Paulson, Austin Eakin, Austin Long, Benjamin Fogler, yes, Billy Wendelin, Boydria Gonzalez, Brandon Nicholson, Brian McNulty, Brian Roden, Chris Fisher, uh, Anonymous, Eleanor Meadows, Ernest George Strauss III, Ian Buchanan, Jeremy Lee, John E. Miller Jr., Jonah Krylo, Josh Stribling, Joshua James, Robertson, Kendra Buck, Kenny Bordeaux, Bordreau, Kurt Jarris, Matthew A. Bertles, Matthew Jackson, Matthew Jackson is on here twice, mm-hmm. Michael Boyle, brand new, Paul Wayne Sims, Robert Gillier, Geiler, Ro- Rodney Tucker, Scott McCauley, Second Yang, Steve Fraley, William Schroeder, and X, Xavier German. Now, you may think, because there's a lot of names, there are 35 names on that list, you may think, oh, they don't need anybody to uh, give them money now. Um a lot of these people, and we appreciate it, trust me, we appreciate it, but a lot of these people give, you know, 20 bucks or something like that. Some of them give a dollar, and we appreciate that, too. Absolutely. Because I don't give a dollar to a lot of different podcasts that mm-hmm. I listen to. Yeah. But I will say this. We have goals for this show. We've talked a little bit about those in the past, and so if you can give... Um, it would be greatly beneficial because we're still a long way from our goals. Yeah. And so uh, please keep that in mind. Um, I think what Leighton uh, Flowers says that I think is true is if you would be willing to take us out for coffee once a month, then, you know, give five bucks. 
Uh, or that'd be just be taking me out for coffee. Speaking of yeah. Leighton Flowers, Trinity Radio is part of the Trinity Commission, which consists of our show, Leighton Flowers, Soteriology 101, The Bible Brodown with Matthew Chisholm and Billy Winland, and The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. Check out our sister podcasts where you can find them. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible Studies click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.